We're going to be in Acts chapter 20. We're going to start there at verse 7. And I got a question for you this morning. And I'm going to start this out with a question. And this is going to be as much of a teaching as it is a preaching. But what are we doing here? You ever ask yourself, like, what, what are we doing? Why do we do what we do? Is it just a tradition? Is it just because that's what we like to do? It? How we like to do it? Is it? Who come up with this? Why do we have church like we have church? What's the, why do we do the things we do? And uh, that's what I want to preach on this morning is why are we, what are we doing here? What are we doing here in the church? Why are we doing it here in the church? Why do we do the things we do? And I want to start here, and start here in Acts chapter 20 verse 7. And I encourage you to follow along. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber, where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep, and fell down from the third loft, and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, and had broken bread, and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive, and were not a little comforted. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as I come to these scriptures, Father, and read them, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will lead God, direct us this morning, Lord, and just make them real to us. Father, help us to understand why we do the things we do, Lord God, and Father, help us to have scriptural basis for the things we do, and Father, it wouldn't be just some tradition, Lord, it'd be something that we've gotten out of your words, and we're trying to honor you and honor your words, Lord God, do those things, Father, that we know please you. And Lord, I pray if there's somebody in the sound of my voice that's never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father, they can't think of a time that they have, Lord God, is pray when we give this invitation, Lord, they'll come on down and get saved, Lord. We thank you, Lord, we thank you for everything you do for us, Lord. Thank you for the grace you've shown every member of this church, Lord God, and every person that comes in here. And I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So the question I come back to is, why, what are we doing here at church? And I want to show you this morning, to the best of my ability, the biblical principles of why we do what we do here at any church, and specifically at this church. And I'm going to show you out of the Bible, with Bible verses, why we do what we do. So the first thing, going back up to verse 7, and upon the first day of the week, that's Sunday. The first day of the week is Sunday. Some people think the first day of the week is Monday. The first day of the week is not Monday. It is for most people's work week. But the first day of the week is Sunday. And it shows you there that the church was getting together on the first day of the week. That's why we have church service on the first day of the week, on Sunday. They were getting together on the first day of the week when the disciples came in. What were they doing? They were breaking bread. They were having a fellowship meal. They were getting together and they were, there was some eating going on. They were good Baptists. If they got together, they had to, they had to eat. Have you heard the old joke where they couldn't... Uh, the Baptist, the Baptist preacher lost his teeth, his false teeth, and he fell down off the bridge. He was looking down in the water at, at, at the river. He was on a bridge, and his teeth fell down. Out, his false teeth fell out of his mouth and fell in the water, and he's all distraught. And somebody came along and said, well, I'll get, the, I'll get them for you, Pastor. And they took a piece of chicken, fried chicken, put it on a string, and followed down there. And that, 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 those false teeth grabbed a hold of the chicken, and he just pulled up. The <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good Baptist there. It, was, it has to be fried chicken, though, for it to work. But they were getting together and they were eating bread. But notice they were coming, they came together. Because see, 
People don't like this, but the Bible specifically tells us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. The Bible is very specific. We should be getting together and having church. Now, I know today's day and age that people think, no, you don't have to go to church. I, I can worship God out here on the lake with my fishing pole and my beer in my hand just as well as you can. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can't. And that's not the, what God told us to do. God told us to get together and exhort one another and help each other. And that's what the disciples were doing from the very beginning in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, and they chose the first day of the week, which was Sunday. Why did they choose the first day of the week, Brother Keegan? Well, there's two reasons, two main reasons. Number one, I will tell you that our Lord and Savior came up the first day of the week. Amen. Jesus Christ resurrected on the first day of the week. He came up on a Sunday. And second reason was, is the main, uh, the main body of the church were Jews. So the Jewish Sabbath, that a covenant God had made with the Israel, the Jews, were, a lot of them were still keeping the law, and they were observing the Jewish Sabbath, which was which was Saturday, and they weren't going to do a lot of traveling on Saturday. So they chose the first day of the week, that which would be Sunday, for those two reasons. And when they got together, what did they do when they got together? Paul preached unto them. They got, they got together and they heard some preaching. And they heard some good preaching. It was long, it was long preaching. That's why you know this guy was probably a Baptist. Paul preached unto them, ready to be depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Now, I know some of y'all trying to faint in the aisles because I get to preaching so long, but I've never went to midnight. As long as I, I've never went to midnight, guys. So, praise the Lord for that. Y'all can thank the Lord for that, that I've never went to midnight. But I want to point out that, that would make this not only a church service, but that would make this a night time. A night service. Now, I believe in a midweek service. I believe that the church would get together on, the, on Sunday, and I believe the church should try to get together on Wednesday. And if we could, if it was possible, get together on Sunday night. Now, I believe in a midweek service because I think we need to be recharged in the middle of the week. And there's some things we can do in the middle of the week, get together and have prayer requests, do some very deep Bible study. And we're doing a very deep Bible study on Calvinism right now on Wednesday night services that's very, very deep. And if, it's good. You'll learn a lot. But it's deep stuff. It's deep stuff, but uh, it's, it's some stuff, it gives me an opportunity to do some stuff that I wouldn't normally do, like in a Sunday school, Sunday school service, or maybe in a preaching service. But the point is, as you're seeing here, that biblically, they're not only getting together, they're not only hearing some preaching, but it's, it's a nighttime service. And old Paul, he gets long-winded, and he goes out, and he gets to preaching late, real late. And it says there in verse 9, that there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen to deep sleep, and as Paul is, was long preaching, even the Bible says he was long preaching. He sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Now, Eutychus is a great type of Christians today. Now, some of y'all, most of y'all, majority of y'all, I don't see y'all fall asleep in church. And I, I had a, a brother when I pastored over at Harmony Baptist in Coleman, dear brother in Christ, Dewey Wilson, he would tell me, Now, Keegan, when I fall asleep, don't get offended. Now, when I fall asleep, don't get offended because I fall asleep. That's because when you start preaching, I, I see where you're going and I'm comfortable with that. And I know I don't have to, anything to worry about because then I, then I can relax and rest and fall asleep. If you see that I'm awake, then that means that I don't much care about what you're preaching. I'm worried that you're going to preach something wrong. And he, of course, he was joking around and laughing about it. And to his testament, he hardly ever, he hardly ever fell asleep. I can remember in church. You don't offend me. If you can fall asleep with my high-pitched, whiny, southern accent, Texas swangy, 
uh, voice and how I get loud. You're a better man than me because I get, I get pretty uh, obnoxious sometimes with my attitude. But this guy definitely fell asleep, and that's a top of a lot of Christians. And what I mean is not a lot of Christians are going to church but falling asleep, but a lot of Christians come in here and they're slumbering. A lot of Christians come to church and they're slumbering, not physically, but spiritually. It's just something that they fell into a rut to do. It's just something they come in. It's just something to be seen to do. Maybe they're coming for the social gathering. Maybe they're coming because their parents come. Maybe they come just because it, it, a friend is going. But they're slumbering spiritually, and God wants you to wake up. Amen. And you're slumbering so far, and you can slumber so far spiritually that you can fall out of a window and wind up dead. Spiritually, be spiritually dead. There's a part in the Bible where God says they're the congregation of the dead. Amen. They need to wake up. Amen. And they need to come alive. So there's, there's, in the church, we need to be a lively church. We need to wake up. We need to be a church that's not like Eutychus. We need to be livened up a little bit. And, and, and that starts with the singing service. It's to sing, sing loud, get excited. If you don't like what the what you don't like what Matt and Wade are singing, go to them and tell them, hey, I want you to sing this, try to sing that. Let you know, get things started. You know, the greasy wheel gets the oil. I mean, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. You squeak a little bit. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, I'm here to praise Jesus Christ. Amen. And I want to get excited. There's nothing worse than being in a dead church. Amen. And I don't want to be a part of a dead church. So, look at verse 10. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves for his life is in him. Paul raises him up. But I want to show you that when Paul raises him up, it says that Paul fell on him and embraced him. And that, that struck me when I read those verses. I thought, you know, there's no better place to get a hug than at a church. And I want to tell you something. I, I, I've been through some really strong storms in my life. I and mean, I've never felt the love like I felt at a church. And I think people are missing out not going to church. Because you're going to have, everybody is going to have storms come in their life. Amen. Everybody. It don't matter who you are. Uh, it could be health, financial, marriage. I don't know what it, you're going to have storms in your life. But if you don't have a church that can come up there and hug you and embrace you and tell you they love you. I'm going to give you some really good advice this morning. And if you listen to anything I say, listen to this. Go find another church. Because there's got to be another church. There's got to be a church that you can find that will be a family to you. Amen. Church should feel like a family to you. And if your church doesn't feel like a family, go find another church that does feel like a family. Amen. There's nothing wrong. People say, well, you, you know, you... you, you you talk about your church more than you talk about your family. Well, it's true. Because I'm around y'all more than I'm around my family. Y'all hug on me. Y'all love on me. Y'all pray with me. When I'm, in, when I'm hurt and I'm crying, y'all have hurt and y'all have cried. Y'all have shared some of the worst moments of my life and held me up and lifted me up and encouraged me. And that's what church is there for. And that's what Paul shows you. Paul didn't just leave him laying there dead on the ground. He says, come here. He hugged him. He embraced him. And that's what church is for. That's what church should be there for. And I hope and pray if you're in this church this morning and you don't feel like you're part of a family, I have failed as a minister and these people out here have failed you. Because you should feel like we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Because spiritually, talking spiritually now, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And the times in this church that I've felt the worst about this church 
The times when I've been a pastor of this church where I felt like as a minister and as a church we've let people down is the times in this church when I feel like there's been a brother or sister in Christ that have been in this church and y'all didn't embrace them and accept them into the family and didn't hug and, and love on them. And I felt ashamed of that. And I've tried to do everything I can to correct that. And I think those people have moved on. And I don't blame them. They should move on. That it should, there is no way a person should be in a church and not feel like this is my family. Amen. And that's why Paul treated him. Paul treated him like his own son ran down there and embraced him and fell on him. It was very important. And that as a church is what we should do. Now, turn to, if, you, if you're with me, turn to 1 Corinthians 16. Let's find out some other things about church. What are we doing here? What, what are we doing here on a Sunday morning when so many other people aren't here? Amen? I mean, the point is, is that uh, me and my wife, we come to church, and I'll see somebody, they'll be out there, and they'll be opening up their gate to their property out here in the middle of the country. They'll be opening up their gate to their property, and they'll have a beer in one hand, and they're trying to fiddle the key with the other, and I'll tell my wife, they're heading to church. It's just a running joke. I mean, I, anytime I see somebody doing something, I say, well, they're trying to get that mode before they head on up to church. And maybe they are, but I doubt it. The point is, why are so many people not in church, and why are we here? If so many of our friends and our loved ones, so many of our friends and our loved ones and the rest of the world have nothing to do with church and they don't put an importance on church, and if you watch any kind of TV program, you don't see a person on TV going to church. You don't see a person attending church, and if it is, it's some nonsensical Catholic church. But the point is that they're mocking them, make fun of them. Why, what are we doing here then? We're, doing, we're here because that's what the Bible teaches us to do. That's what I'm trying to show you this morning. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, look at verse 1. Here's another thing we should do as a church. We're gathering together on Sunday. We're gathering together on the Lord's Day on Sunday. The first day of the week, verse, uh, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever you shall prove by your letters, then will I, will I send to bring your liberality under, unto Jerusalem. So Paul tells them, when I come in, on the first day of the week, on Sunday, when y'all gather together, y'all take up an offering. Y'all take it up then. And he says, take up an offering, the collection for the saints. Look at the verse 2. Take up an offering, at, look at the middle of verse 2. Let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Paul doesn't say, give everything you've ever owned to the Lord. God doesn't say, I want you to give 90% of what you, that's between you and God. But he says, as God had prospered you, you give it. In other words, just give what you can. Give what you want to give. And Paul was real funny about that. And Paul said, you know, God loveth a cheerful giver. God doesn't want you to give to the church or to his ministry grudgingly. God would rather you just keep your money, you greedy gut. If you're a greedy gut, keep it. God wants you to keep it. You think it belongs to you, you keep it. But if you're, if you're thankful that the Lord has blessed you in whatever financial way, Paul says we'll just collect that up on Sunday. Now you know why we take an offering on Sunday. Now we're a little different of a church. You know, we're strange. I admit it. You got a strange pastor, got a strange church, got a strange bunch of people. You're all strange. See how I'm <laughs> putting you all in there with me. But the point is, is that we don't take, we don't pass an offering plate. We just have a little bucket at the back. And uh, if you want to throw in money, you can. If you don't, that's fine. Nobody's watching you. Nobody's staring at you. You can give an offering or whatever. And the Lord's been really, really good to us. The last uh, 13 years, however long I've been here. 
You've seen how many missionaries we support. You see the Lord's really blessed us, able to do the things the Lord wants us to do. We've never had a problem with money, and praise the Lord for that. And that don't have anything to do with me or you. It has everything to do with the Lord God. The Lord God, our Lord God, can pull a coin, a gold coin, out of a fish's mouth. What do you think he thinks? He, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your money. The, the, what you need to understand about tithing or giving to the Lord, the Lord tells you to do that because it's for your own good. And, and it breaks covetousness. It, it, makes you, it, gives you the, it makes you think, okay, I'm going to give this because I'm thankful for the God that gives me everything. And I don't want to be coveting and greedy and I'll just give this. And it belongs to God anyway, so I'll give it to you. And it helps you. To, it, blessed is a giver. More blessed is it to give than to receive. And that's a, that's a principle of all this. You feel good when you can give and help. That's the whole reason God does that. Jesus Christ, he didn't teach on people forgiving for the people that are being forgiven. He taught on forgiveness for the people who should forgive. It's for your own good. Unforgiveness is a cancer. It'll eat you up. It's bitterness. It's like when you, when you have unforgiveness in your heart and you have jealousy in your heart, it's like you want somebody else to die and you're the one drinking the poison, watching, waiting for them to die. You're just killing yourself. Forgiveness is for your own good. It's for your own soul. Tithing is for your own good. It's for your own soul. And, I, and, I, and you can ask the secretary of this church, and she'll tell you. I hope she can tell you this to be true. I don't want to know who gives. I don't want to know who tithes. And she'll come and tell me, Brother Keegan, we've had somebody give a big donation. And the first words out of my mouth will praise the Lord. Don't tell me who it is. Because <laughs> I don't want to look good at you. I don't want to look down on somebody who I think should be tithing, maybe, and I don't want to look up at somebody who's giving a lot of money. That's not right. Amen. That's not right. Because some, one person is dealing with something financially, another person is I don't want to know. I don't want to know. That's between you and the Lord. That's between you and, 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 and we try to keep that as secret as we can. And God has really blessed us through this church for that. And I praise the Lord for that. But that's what they did. You see, the reason why we do that, is, that's biblical right there in 1 Corinthians 16. They were taking up the collections on the first day of the week. And they, they wanted to help out in Jerusalem. Why were they helping out in Jerusalem? Because they were poor saints. Now, if you're with me still, turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse, uh, uh, verse 9 and 10. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. So the collection that we take up, this collection we take up is for the ministry of the Lord. The money that we raise is for the ministry of the Lord. It's not for the preachers to get rich. It's not for the preacher to be able to have a better jet that he can fly across the country preaching. <laughs> and I know, I know how people feel about money. And I'm right there with you. I'm really funny about money. That's why I don't pass an offering plate in front of you. I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable or think it's all about money. Because I've heard that so many times in my life. I can get sick at my stomach. All you preachers talk about is money. All the church cares about is money. Well, you haven't been to my church because we don't care. And we're not looking you in the face begging for money. And the only reason I'm even preaching on tithing is because it's for your own good. <laughs> I'm not trying to, to get your money. I don't care. Give it to whoever you want to give it to. I'm just telling you, that's why we do it. That's why the Lord asks you to do it. It's for your own good. And the Lord's really blessed us, and I, I give the credit to the Lord. I'm not going to give the credit to you. And if you think you want me to praise you for giving money to the church, you're looking at the wrong preacher because I don't even know who's giving what for number one. Just told you I don't know who's giving what. And number two, I give all the glory to Jesus Christ. 
He blessed you to be able to raise that money or give you that money, and he gives it to you, so praise the Lord, and you should be praising the Lord. And I think if you're the kind of person that gives to the church, you have that attitude. I'm giving it because the Lord's been good to me. So praise the Lord for that. But look, it's about poor people too. Verse 9, and when, this is Galatians 2, verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So Paul says, I'm going, they, they, we shake hands. And me and Peter, this is Paul speaking. Paul says, me and Peter, Peter and I, excuse me, Peter and I, we decided, Peter, you go to the Jews, I'll go to the Gentiles. But notice what he says in verse 10. Only, that would, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forwarded to do. Forwarded to do. So this brace, what we should be doing, what the church does, is should be thinking about the poor, trying to help the poor, trying to do what we can to help the poor. That should be one of the main uh, things of the church. That's one of the main reasons we raise money. It's not only to get, mi get missionaries out there uh, for the Lord's work, but also to help the poor people. Amen. That's what the church has always done. The church has always tried to help the poor people. Uh, some, of the first some of the first hospitals in this country were started by churches. It should all be about the church. But you can't have some, you can't have some pudgy pope sitting on a golden throne Telling somebody, you need to help the poor. It don't work that way. No. You know, if you want to help the poor, you know, cut a piece of that throne up and sell it to somebody, and let's get the poor some food. In other words, we can't, the church can't be hypocrites. The church can't be saying, we're going to help the poor and, then, and hoard all the money. You've got to hoard it out. You've got to give it out. Amen. And that's what I've known about this church is we'll, we hardly have a lot of money in the bank. The way it works in this church is pretty amazing. We're, we're like a faucet or something. The Lord sends us money in, and we're sending it out, and we send it out, and the Lord sends it in, and we never really are just really holding a lot. It's just kind of flowing through. And that's how it should work, and we should always remember the poor. Uh, in Romans 15, 26, it says here, Paul says, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which were at Jerusalem. So the church, as the church was growing and they were having church services, they would take money up. And as they were raising this money, they said, you know what? We got these brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. They're being persecuted. They're being, uh, some of them are being killed. Let's, and they're poor. They're running for their lives. Let's see if we can help them out and send them some food. Send them the need. Maybe they need some clothes. That's what the church should do. And that's what the church is known for. And I'm thankful that I'm part of a church that does that. And, and, and part of a, of a religion that does that. To me, now y'all can believe, y'all have y'all's own beliefs. I know that, and I give you my, y'all don't want it, but I give it to you. This is an opinion, this isn't biblical. But there's nothing that drives me any crazier, nutty, looney tunes than to see the Red Cross, which is based on Christian principles, the Red Cross, which is get, most of the money comes from Christians donating to that service. The Red Cross, that when they go into a Muslim country, they change themselves to the crescent, the crescent moon. And they, and they change their whole, they, they won't call themselves the Red Cross when they're, when they're in Muslim Islamic countries. They call themselves the Crescent. That's hypocritical to me. If you're going to have the Christians giving the money, then let it be a Red Cross. Because the Crescent Moon isn't giving nothing to nobody. Because as far as I remember, when I've read the Quran and when I've looked at it, Muhammad didn't do a stinking thing for nobody. All Muhammad did was kill people and try to create a kingdom. Just like any other good pope. That's all he did. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I'll show you something else. You need this verse here. Colossians chapter 2. 
I just used this verse uh, this, this uh, last weekend on somebody that was talking to me about stuff. Colossians chapter 2. Now, here's what, here's what happens, guys. The first day of the week, Sunday, the day that we get together to worship the Lord, it, you've got the right day. You're going to have some brothers and sisters in Christ that are going to tell you that we should be worshiping God on the Sabbath, which would be Saturday, and that we're, we're, we're disobeying the Word of God because we're not honoring the Sabbath, that God honored the Sabbath. We should be worshiping God on Saturday. And you have some Christians. Now, I'm looking at you, Seventh-day Adventists. The Seventh-day Adventists, they will teach because they believe that we should, the Seventh-day Adventists. That's why they're Seventh-day, Saturday Adventists. They, they're, they're advancing that thought. Seventh-day Adventists. They teach that if you're worshiping God on Sunday, you're taking the mark of the beast. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's exactly what they teach. Now, not all of them believe that, but I've had one of them give me a piece of paper that taught just what I told you. That if you're worshiping God on Sunday, you're taking the mark of the beast. And that's some of the biggest nonsense I've ever heard in my life. Now, they're judging people for worshiping God on Sunday, not worshiping God on Saturday. The first thing you need to know about this is this, that the Sabbath, the Sabbaths, plural, were, was a sign between God and Israel. That's Ezekiel. I'll read it to you. That's Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. God says, Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths, plural, to be a sign between me and them. So this was a sign. This was not meant to be a, a sign for the church. This was a sign. This is something God set up between him and the Jew, between him and Israel. So you need to realize as a Christian that the Sabbath is not meant for you. We figured that out in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, you're supposed to keep, stay away from blood, stay away from fornication, you'll do you well. That's it. You're not supposed to keep those laws. Now Paul goes on and tells us in Colossians chapter 2 verse 16, he tells us this. Let no man therefore judge you in meat what you eat, or in drink what you drink, or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. Paul tells you, don't worry about, don't let anybody judge you what you're doing. You're not under that law. Now that goes back, we don't have time, but it goes back to Romans chapter 14. If you want to know more about it, go to Romans, read Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 will tell you this, and when you read Colossians 2.16, it tells you this. God, you should be worshiping God on every day of the week. Every day of the week is a Sabbath to a Christian. Every day of the week is sanctified. And Paul tells us in Romans 14, some people, some Christians, some brothers, they choose this day, some brothers choose that day. One says it's holy, one day says it's not holy. But we're all going to answer to Jesus Christ. What I'm here to tell you is we can decide as a church to have church service on Tuesday. What if all of us worked at a factory and that factory worked on Sunday, but that factory closed down on Tuesday? As a church, we could get together and say, hey, man, you know, three quarters of our members are at work on Sunday. They got to pay. They got to feed their family. Why don't we have church service on Tuesday? We can do that. We have liberty in Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, you get that, right? We got liberty in Jesus Christ. There's no commandment that you have to do it on Sunday. Amen. But there's no commandment you have to do it on Saturday. Why do we do it on Sunday then? Because that's when the early church fathers were doing it. I'm reading you the verses. They were getting together on the first day of the week, preaching, getting together, eating. They were getting together first day of the week. They're, they're raising up money. So when you have some brother or sister that comes to you and says, you should be worshiping God on Saturday. You're it wrong. You're wrong. You, oh, we should be worshiping, keeping the Sabbath. Just show them this verse and forget about them. 
You got it right there, Colossians 2, 16. Don't let them judge you. God's going to judge us. You know you need to be worshiping God. That, that, and we can't get into all the doctrinal truths on that, but you get a little bit of an idea. Okay, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm going to close here, Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8, way back in Nehemiah. Why do we do what we do at church? Well, the Bible shows us. I'm showing you out of the Bible why we do what we do. Nehemiah chapter 8. You want a good, you want a, and while, while you're turning to Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to start there at verse 1. Um, do you want to, I'm going to give you a good verse for nighttime service. If you want to write this down, write down Psalms chapter 134. That's verses 1 through 3. Psalms chapter 134. Psalm chapter 134, verses 1 through 3. You know what that verse says? It says, Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord. It says, Which by night, by night, stand in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands in the sanctuary, and bless the Lord. Talking about a nighttime service right there. Psalm chapter 134. So you can do it in the daytime. You can do it at nighttime. You should be praising the Lord every time. But Nehemiah chapter 8, it's going to really show you why we do what we do here at church. You're going to be amazed. If you don't know these scriptures, I think you might be surprised what these scriptures teach us. Nehemiah chapter 8, the church, excuse me, Israel, the Jews have come back to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the wall, they're rebuilding Jerusalem. God had sent them into captivity for 70 years. Now they're coming back, and here they come. They're coming back, and they're starting to get things right. And this is what happens in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. They said, we want to hear the Bible. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation of men and women. All right. You got, the church is not just for men. The church is not just for women. The church is for men and women. And all that could hear with understanding. Everybody that could understand, they brought them in. I guess they put the kids in the nursery. I'm not sure. But you get where I'm going with this. It's pretty amazing. Upon the first day of the seventh month. Now, that's not, that's not necessarily a Sunday, but it's the first day of the seventh month. Now, look, notice what they do. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until moon, midday. Well, from about 9 to 12. Hmm. From 9 to 12. Before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of the, all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. They were listening to what he had to say out of the word of God. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. Which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood and then gives a long bunch of names. Look at verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people on a platform behind a pulpit of wood for he was above all the people when he opened it up opened it all the people stood up how many of y'all have been in a church service where the preacher says well y'all stand for the reading of the word of God where does he get that out of right there you just read it so Ezra stands behind a pulpit of wood on a, pool, on, on a platform raised up in front of the people and verse 6 and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Why do we come to church on Sunday? Why do we sit in the pew? Why do we listen to preaching? Why do people say Amen? Well, I'm showing you every reason why. This is all biblical. 
The Holy Spirit's doing just what He's always done through all through the history of His people. Amen, amen, amen. Who does that, men and women? I grew up in a Southern Baptist church where you would never hear a woman say amen. That's a shame. That's what I love about Sister Alice Martin. She's not afraid to say amen. I praise the Lord for that. <laughs> amen. Man, when, when God gets a hold of you, it's okay to say amen. It's like I tried to tell Brother Herod. So, yeah, we, we want to clap in here, but nobody knows how to keep, a, keep the beat. So you just have people, one brother will hear, oh, you know. But if, don't worry about that. I'm not going to shame you. Just get, get excited for the Lord. Get excited for the Lord. Amen. And lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. We pray, we pray with our faces down. Some of us will raise our hands. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. They give a testimony. That's it. That's it right there, brothers and sisters. You're seeing behind a pulpit of wood. You're seeing all of this right before your very eyes in 2019. And this was 400 years before Christ was born. Amen. Verse 7 gives a long list of names. And the Levites, middle of verse 7, and caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. They were listening. They were listening to what they had to say about the Word of God. Now look, look at verse 8. This is the whole reason we get together. What are we doing here at church? So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly. Somebody got up. They read it so people, somebody else could understand. And gave the sense of it. Gave the sense. In other words, you're trying to preaching should get up and make the Bible to, be, to help you understand the Bible. That's what preaching should do. That's what Paul was doing. Paul went to midnight because they didn't understand what he was preaching. They probably were having a hard time understanding Paul, so Paul just kept on preaching. If some of y'all would do this a lot more, you know, shake your head up and down, I probably would cut the service short and say, Amen, well, they understand. <laughs> Distinctly and gave the sense, and look, and caused them to understand the reading. We get together on Sunday to read this Bible, hear this Bible preached. We want to understand it. We want the preacher to make it more understandable. We want to understand the words of God. Amen. That's what they've been doing from the very beginning. Verse 9. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha. Tershatha is a Persian, a, Persian, a Persian name for title of governor. Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Look what they tell them. The people that are listening to the word of God be preached. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. What happens when I preach sometimes? When you hear a preacher preaching, sometimes you'll tell me, some of y'all tell me, you were stepping on my toes. Sometimes it hurts you. It should hurt you. I heard this old-time preacher say, I don't want to hear a preacher unless he's hurting me. This Word of God, like I've said before from this pulpit, it's hard to find good, feel-good messages because it's full of nothing but stuff that's going to cut you. It's a two-edged sword. And it says there that they tell them, hey, I know, it, I know I'm stepping on your toes, but don't mourn or weep. Why? Verse 10, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions of them for whom nothing is prepared. He said, hey, eat something that tastes good. When you eat the fat, you're eating the good stuff. When I see people eat steak and they cut that fat off the steak, and I'm like, what are you doing, man? That's the best part of the steak. And he says, drink the sweet. Don't have to eat the bitter. We're not, we're not mourning and fasting. We're joyful. We're joyful. That's what he's saying. Look, 
Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them from whom is nothing prepared. Think about the poor people. Think about the poor people. Don't forget them. For this day is holy unto our Lord. That's what we're doing here. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. Sometimes you're going to come to church and the preacher's going to say stuff. It's going to step all over your toes. The Lord's going to speak to your heart. Holy Spirit's going to move, going to evict you of sin. But it's not going to make you sad. You're not going to start crying and, and, and fear and distraught. You, it's going to bring you joy to know the Lord's going to take care of it. I need to get right. But there's a joy to that. It makes no sense to the world, but every Christian under the sound of my voice understands exactly what I'm saying. Some of the worst times, I've, some of the best times I've had at church is when I felt the lowest. Because the Lord will come in and convict me of some sin, and I'll repent of that sin, and I'll get up, and man, I'll feel cleansed, I'll feel good, I'll have that joy. Because who is my strength? It's not Kigan. The Lord is my strength. That's what he just said to them. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Lord is your strength. The joy that, that you get from the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink. This is after church service. They went out to get something to eat and to send portions and to make great mirth. They were happy. Mirth. They were joyful. They were happy. They had a good time. Because they, why? Why were they having such a good time? Listen, if, this is why people don't have a good time at church. This is why they had a good time at church. Because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Amen. You want to have a good time at church? Get in there and try to understand what God's got for you out of the Word of God. Amen. And I've told you this before. If I'm preaching on something and it's boring you or you don't like it or something like that, just have your Bible open and keep reading. Amen. I've seen y'all doing that all the time. I'll say, okay, turn here and I'll be preaching on something and I'll turn somewhere else and I'll see y'all. Y'all still reading back where I was preaching and keep on reading. Well, praise the Lord for that. Amen. I'm not here to get on you. I'm not here to, I'm here to, to preach the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit move. I'm just doing what I think the Lord's called us to do. And you say, well, why do y'all have church? Why do we do the things we do at church? I just read to you. We, get, we try to get together on Sunday because that's the way the church fathers were doing it. We try to raise a collection, take up an offering on Sunday because that's the way they did it, 1 Corinthians 16. We get together, we have a pulpit of wood, we have a platform, raise it up. It's better for the, it's back where they didn't have microphones. It's better for the audio. It's better for you to hear. We, we get the pews out there so you can understand. Sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes it's going to step on your toes. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. You're hearing the word of God. That's what it's all about. So if you're in a church, if you're in a church that you're not getting that, then go find a church you're getting that. And if you're not getting it from this church, go find a church you think you'll get it at. I'm not, I'm not here to try to... Obviously, right? You can tell we're not here to, make, to, to knock down the walls and get a gymnasium going and everything. We're just here to preach the Word of God and be simple folk. We're pretty simple. But there's one thing about us that you'll never take away from us. We love, we love, love, love the Word of God. Amen. We love the Bible. And, of course, that brings us, just by default, that brings us to a great, great love and admiration for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So why do we do what we're doing? We're doing what we're doing because that's the way the Bible teaches us. Amen. And I'm thankful that, that all this stuff that we do, some of it is traditional. We have some traditions in the church that when you look at it, it's just really traditional. But the main thrust, the main of every church you can think of you've gone to in your life... It's mainly like that. They do these main... Why are they doing that? Well, it's because God has set it up that way. Amen. And I'm just showing you that's why 
we do it. I've had somebody say, uh, why, do you, why do you stand behind a pulpit? Because nowadays, nowadays they don't even have, most of them don't even have pulpits. They'll have some little bitty stand, kind of like that, but it'd be, you know, plastic so you can see them and everything. This right here is supposed to hide me. It's supposed to hide me and lift up the word of God. Amen. You're not supposed to see me. You're supposed to hear me. And what this is supposed to do is supposed to put an emphasis on the words that are coming from here. Amen. So a lot of times when I come out from out here and I come down here, I'm taken away from the word of God and I'm trying to make it about me. And I've got to be real careful of that. And some of the best preachers I've ever heard, they don't move much, for, much from right here. Because it's all about this right here. Amen. That's what it's all about. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Father, that you give us a good church home, Lord. And Father, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you that I live in a country that I'm coming here with liberty and be able to preach your word and hear your word and sing about Jesus Christ and glorify Jesus Christ and not worry about persecution. Lord, I thank you, thank you, thank you for a country like that, Father. I thank you for the men and women that bled and, sh and give their lives that I can come in here and do that, Lord God. And Father, I just pray a special blessing on our other brothers and sisters all over the world, in China and in India, over in Iran, Lord God, that don't have the liberty that we have, Lord God. Father, I just pray you'd bless them, Lord. And Father, I just pray you bless any preacher standing up anywhere this morning, Lord God, that's simply preaching Jesus Christ crucified and the Savior of the world, Lord God. I ask you to bless them. Father, I know there's so many uh, brothers and sisters, Lord God, that's trying to do the right thing, Lord God. And uh, Father, I just pray through your Holy Spirit, you encourage them, give them the grace, Lord God. But if there's somebody... In here this morning that doesn't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, Father, I just pray when we give this invitation, they'll come on down and get saved. And I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the Internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now it's an amazing verse of course talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18 he went on to say something interesting for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved so the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you but in verse 18 he says something that's amazing he says that he that believeth on him is not condemned he's stressing a faith it's putting your faith into Jesus Christ but he says there in verse 18 but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. 
It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him